0: Untitled Beatles podcast. Three, two, one.
1: Contact. It's the something and the something. And the, remember that? Three, two, one, contact. Oh, yeah. Three, two, one, contact. Three, two, one. Contact is
2: the secret. It's the moment when everything happens. Contact.
0: Yeah, I remember that one a lot. It it was 321 Contact, it was Electric Company, Kids Are People too. I mean, forgetting Weird, the New Zoo Review
1: It's the New Zoo Review, (laughs) and we're making friends with you, is it?
0: (laughs) Something like that, there was like a hippopotamus And yeah, that one was a weird one And Great Space Coaster was also a favorite of mine
1: uh, It's the Great Space Coaster, get on board Yeah, Um, man Do you remember Banana Splits? One banana, two banana, three banana, four
0: I was way into Banana Splits. In fact, I have a Banana Splits LP that is amazing. It's out of print. What's his name? Barry White, I think, wrote a song for them. Um, Yeah, they, they it was that bubblegum stuff.
1: Yeah. I
2: live in a cucumber castle On the bank of a cranberry sea
0: And starfish
2: dance under my
1: drawbridge Blackbirds make nests in my tree I enjoy being a boy in love with you
0: I love the banana splits
1: Me too Bob Marley ripped them off La 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 la
0: You know, they call that payback, TJ That's payback for rock and roll well, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. <laughs> I'm Tony.
1: And I'm uh, Ziggy Marley. Tomato people. Wear... I just want to do a Ziggy. I, I love Bob Marley. I love Rita. Lovely Rita Marley. That's what Paul wrote her about. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I love the Marley family. Those Bob Marley records are great. When you're you're young, you just have legend, and then you start to get into like Exodus and all that and catch a fire. I'm TJ. <laughs>
0: Clearly you went to college in the nineties, TJ.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you think that's impressive, wait till you hear me talk about Wish You Were Here.
0: <laughs> Sid Barrett. Did you ever hear that story where he showed up at the those sessions?
1: No, did he really?
0: Yeah, he showed up at one of those sessions around that time. I forget if it was for Wish You Were Here or if it was Dark Side, but around that time and they didn't even recognize him. He had like I forget I forget if he'd like shaved his head or put on weight or whatever it was but he was unrecognizable and he was just this like kind of strange man that wandered into the studio but that song the you and wish you were here is Sid Barrett for yeah. all you Floyd heads
1: When they did that, that already know that second god second live 8 reference but when Pink Floyd reunited at Live 8 in 05 they did a great set and um at the be- it's the f- only time Roger Waters and um David Gilmour played together in like years for a Live 8 and in the intro, D- David Gilmore said this one's for Sid during the acoustic guitar intro. That was a really sweet moment.
0: Yeah. RIP. I, I really liked that guy, Sid Barrett. He he uh he had an influence on seventeen uh, year old, eighteen year old me.
2: And what exactly is a dream and what e-
1: Well, and of course, he contributed to the uh, greatest uh, Pink Floyd George Harrison combination, Piper at the Gates of Ding Dong, Ding Dong.
0: (laughs) Well, if you like what we do, God knows why, uh, feel free to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Where do you listen, TJ?
1: Um, where do I listen or who do I listen? Between (laughs) OAN and Newsmax and OAR and ELO, I get all my right-wing classic rock.
0: (laughs) If you haven't already, feel free to subscribe to us. Just smush, take your thumb or your finger, whichever, your favorite finger, and just smush the subscribe part of your phone or your tablet or whatever, however you listen to us. Tell your friends and uh, yeah, feel free to engage with us. Tell us what we got right. Tell us what we got wrong. Tell us when we should cut our hair. When we should pet our cats. Tell us how to live our lives. We need you.
1: That's what we're looking for. I mean, I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking for a life coach.
0: Yeah, be our life coach. Nine seven six UBP three two one. Hey, speaking of which, three two one part two McCartney Hulu. Um Paul McCartney. Uh
1: uh uh fuck. Okay, I can help you. He was one of the Beatles. He later <laughs> formed a group called Wings. <laughs> Kurt <Kirk> Claudio. Uh.
2: <laughs> boy, you're gonna carry that weight for a long time. Did that was just that's Paul sign
1: that <laughs> are you familiar with Kurt Claude Bain? <laughs> That's who that was, man. Not not the guy in different strokes.
0: <laughs> Conrad Kurt Copay. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Weirdest mashup ever. <laughs> Conrad Kurt Copay. <laughs> I'll give you my word, that as soon as interest rates go down and the
2: stock market straightens out, the economy's gonna pick up.
0: Well, here we are. Part two of McCartney three, two, one. Now, TJ, you wanted to say something.
1: I did. There is very depressing irony to starting a McCartney documentary episode two on Hulu with a commercial for McNuggets. (laughs) There's a McDonald's (laughs) commercial. And like the guy who recorded the song Meat Free Monday, he and his (laughs) wife, one of the famous vegetarian couples in the history of vegetarian couples, I don't think the MPL knew that there'd be a McDonald's commercial before the McCartney doc. Yeah, it was jar. It was jar. And I, I, mean, I'm not a vegetarian. I actually I don't eat McDonald's as much as I used to because you know I don't want to. What's the word? Die. So I don't <laughs> eat like I used to love Big Macs and all that stuff. But so I'm not anti McDonald's. But it is ironic a little and a little unfortunate before a McCartney documentary.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, that's the capitalist system for you.
1: Well, and then they followed it up with MurderYourHorse.com. And of course, Henry the Horse dances the wall.
0: Episode two, The Notes That Like Each Other. That's a Paul McCartney quote of Mozart.
1: You you thought they were going to go into ebony and ivory. (laughs) Right. That's the point of that
0: song, right? Yeah. That was the other thing like that we 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 talked about in the last episode, but the they didn't get to anything after nineteen eighty. Like I wonder when did Paul start working digitally? When did he stop working with the tapes? Because they actually had to source these tapes out. I mean, it doesn't matter. There could be a computer behind the wizard or whatever instead of a tape machine. And maybe that's what it was. Maybe these tapes were all on digital pro tools or whatever
1: I I read the tapes were shipped to the Hamptons Tony I think these are the actual tapes that EMI sent over which is insane
0: it is insane
1: Uh, because they get worn down with each play
0: so every time you play one you're you know you're putting it at risk I
1: I think McCartney stopped with tapes after his assistant tried to steal them but was accidentally (laughs) locked in a bathroom (laughs) and give my regards to Broad Street
2: you've got the tapes
1: yeah found them on the bench
0: Yeah, all right. Yeah. Well, it opens with the score, the George Martin score for George Harrison's Something.
1: One of your favorite tracks from the Abbey Road Deluxe set is the strings only take on this.
0: You're right. Good memory. Thank you. Memory almost full. That's right. Yeah, he gets this kind of turns into the Paul McCartney masterclass, right? It talks about him not learning how to read or write music and just playing by ear or by feel.
2: You know, I I meet a lot of young groups, and I say, I can't read music or write it. They go, what? (laughs) And it's like, well, that doesn't work. But it means that it's here. It's not on a bit of paper.
0: And he's at the piano, at that uh, upright piano, and he's just playing basically what's, I
1: think it must be a C chord he starts with. That's right, he plays the CD, and he, I love when he refers to it becoming that Eddie Cochran thing, which is only the most influential song in Beatle history, because 20 Flight Rock, or quote-unquote, that Eddie Cochran thing, is a song <laughs> that bonded Paul and John.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's cool, I mean, it gets, I mean it's basically the, the uh, he does the boogie-woogie thing with it, the...
1: Paul's doing all this kind of stuff. Yeah. The Jerry Lee Lewis.
0: yeah. But it's cool, yeah. He starts in a C chord, and basically he keeps, the, keeps that same shape and goes up. It's like C, D minor, E minor, F, G. I think he goes all the way up to A
1: minor after that. He's got an A minor there. I keep waiting for him when he's kind of doing all the chords going up. I was waiting for... Check it
0: out. I wish. I, that. There's one. That's one I wish. he Get the tapes out for C moon, man.
1: Was that the intro? I should have been in? Yes, Paul. you know it's the intro. You wrote it.
0: One of my favorites. You know that's know one you, of my favorites.
1: I know you love Sea Moon. I'm more a high, high, high guy. You're more Sea Moon guy.
0: Definitely, definitely. But it's like
1: you love Standing Stone. I love Liverpool oratorio. So potato potato. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's 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 thrilling to hear him even talk about twenty flight Rock. Uh, When he starts noodling at the piano, I want to hear him play that upright all day. You know, John's Imagine is also in C, I mean, obviously. So to kind of hear when he goes into Let It Be, as much as Let It Be and Imagine are both piano songs in C, I've never thought of them related, but hearing Paul then go into Let It Be, when he's playing something in C, a key that clearly influenced John as well, I connected Let It Be and Imagine in ways I'd never had before.
2: Uh, John doing Imagine... You can hear that's him. Yeah. It's just sort of what we'd learned based on that. Wow. Or when I find myself in times of trouble, mother man becomes to me. Same chords. Wow. And reason, let it be.
1: the first moment where i my eyes welled up in the series is when paul's playing let it be on the upright and they do just a quick cut to billy preston and they're doing the let it be movie mm-hmm. version of let it be oh my first of all seeing billy preston's face in there yeah. hearing his organ tony that print i don't know if we're, i've never seen that print that taken let it be look so good and clean I don't know if that's cleaned up from the Peter Jackson footage that's going to be used or if yeah, these people who did the, uh, this McCartney's uh, three two one just cleaned it up themselves. But, oh, my God, this is like an appetizer for the main course coming Thanksgiving weekend. As great as this is, we're going to be rocked off even more when Let It Be comes out. Or, excuse me, get back.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be J-O'd for sure. Speaking of sticky things, Kirk Cla- uh, Rick Rubin takes the masking tape for... You know, so there's masking tape all over the soundboard, and I'm sure people know what it is by now. But those are basically all the uh, the tracks. He put it up to the soundboard and the faders, and it tells you what's on each potentiometer, uh, the levels. So he puts the one on for Eleanor Rigby.
2: Showing this to all George. Uh, Martin, and we'd already All done yesterday, so this was like it'd be nice to. I think this song could suit, but instead of a quartet, it was now an octet yeah. again, just to do something a bit different. Yeah. And I brought it in like a la- bit like, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, I brought it in like. <laughs>
1: Do,
0: do, 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 do. It's also cool to see Paul then trot off to the electric piano and start knocking it out, talking about the genesis of the song.
1: Yeah, and I love talking about Genesis. I mean McCartney <laughs> loves McCartney loves Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Um
0: <laughs> Will you sign but, this for
1: me, Paul? <laughs> right? Maybe maybe the story did happen with Paul and George. Who knows? Um but, yeah, in Ellen Rigby, when Paul said the electric piano, it reminds me of when Paul, in the 05 tour, a strange thing he did once and hadn't done since, he played Fixing a Hole as a solo piece. Mm. And it's it's really neat. And this kind of reminded me of that moment. Like, it was a cool, quiet moment back in 05. I'm fixing a hole
2: where the rain gets in and stops my mind from wandering where it will
1: Uh, hearing the okay. Ellen Rigby strings, I know this is not a hot take, Tony, and we've said it on the show before, but this documentary also reiterates the definitive conclusion that the fifth Beatle is is George Martin. That there's no other, with all the respect to Billy Preston and Clapton and other people who kind of came in and, and Dave Mason with the Piccolo trumpet, we'll get to.
0: Jimmy Nichol.
1: And, and and Jimmy Nickel <laughs> and Christy Nickel And Christy McNichols. <laughs> Christy McNichol.
0: And Nancy McKeon. And... <laughs> Mindy Cohn, who I met, by the way, and is a wonderful person. If you're out there, Mindy, hi.
1: <laughs> oh, Mindy, Mindy Cohn, longtime fan of the show.
0: <laughs> she was it, a delight to work with.
1: The, who played Tootie? Name the actress who played Tootie. <laughs> Kim Fields. Dude, that is... Su- All right, fine. After After Mrs. Garrett left, who came in to replace her?
0: Oh, wasn't it Adelaide from Different Strokes or something? Ah. I forget.
1: Uh, was it Dixie Carter?
0: Uh, oh, no, that's different strokes. That, right. Anyway. <laughs> Conrad Kurtko Bain started <laughs> d- dating Dixie Carter uh, from Designing Women. I, Philip, take the Margaret, for my wedded wife to
2: have and to hold from this day forward. I have
0: had it up to here with you and your Yankee Doodle
2: Yucky.
1: Well, anyway, that's all the time we have for McCartney 321. I do want to say John Legend. It's cool hearing Paul talk about John Legend. I like John Legend a ton. John Legend is one of my wife's, um, uh, like, she'd be allowed to make love to John Legend if that were to happen. Oh, I'd be okay. cool with it. I'd be happy for <laughs> It would change the dynamic, when you have to go back to me.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean... You're just like George and Patty, really.
1: That's what I keep trying to explain that.
0: <laughs> I'm just trying to turn our place into Friar Park. Is that <laughs> is that so wrong?
1: Dude, Peter Frampton's <laughs> coming over, half a bad finger, the ones who aren't dead. Be cool. If you want it
2: here it is, come and get it.
0: Uh, you did mention David Mason and uh, he comes to play and is mentioned in Penny Lane when they dissect Penny Lane.
2: George and David, so to say. Okay, so what do, we want, what do we want to play? And I go, um, and they go, okay, hang on. And they're writing it down. And so I went, and put like an impossible high note. And David Mason turns to me and says, well, that's officially out of the range of the piccolo trumpet, even. And I kind of give him a look like, yeah, like you can do it. You know, he goes, okay. So he plays it. And it's uh, it haunted him for the rest Let's of his get, life, get. you know. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, it's a great, I, I like that story. This is very similar to the For No One, Alan Civil story about the French horn solo having being out of range for the French horn. Same story again with... Penny Lane.
1: Well, and as Dave, yeah, Dave Mason singing the solo Paul writing it down, and when Mason says it's officially out of the range of the piccolo trumpet, Paul says there ain't no good guy, there ain't no bad guy, there's only you and me and we just disagree. And Dave Mason <laughs> turned that into one of his biggest hits. <laughs> been away Haven't seen you in a while. You remember this one? How you been? Yep. Have you changed your style and do you think
0: Yeah, I think you played it. You've played it on the program. I've done it so anytime we
1: talk about Penny Lane, the beauty of tuning into the show is it's almost like watching a show on MeTV. You get the new one and the rerun at the same time.
0: Now, I have to ask you, TJ, when they're going through these tapes and they make it all the way through the end, you don't hear that. That trumpet ending that you love so much that was only on the Canadian release or whatever it was.
1: Just a promo release and later rarities. My first note is Rick Rubin should have asked where the trumpet tag went. (laughs) Bum, 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 bum. Over Ringo's trill. Yeah. It's it's so cool, and Rick Rubin refers to the song when he's talking about it. He goes, it's a groove you can listen to all day. That feeling doesn't get old, is what Rick Rubin said about it. And I think that's why I love this song so much. This song exists in a pocket that feels like it's existed forever, it feels like it's part of 1967, and it feels like it's part of now. It's very rare to find the song that sounds old-fashioned but isn't. It's almost a trippy take on an old-fashioned nostalgia song.
0: And, of course, the inspiration for that trumpet came from Paul watching a Brandenburg concerto on the television, and they cut to some footage of that, but I just want to say that that footage was from 1970, so that was not the footage that inspired him, but you get the idea.
1: Well, they got to get back in time.
0: <laughs> well, then he's over at the upright again and he's get, he goes into Lady Madonna. And he I like how he actually he kind of clams it at the end, doesn't he?
1: You remember during the pandemic concert, he did like a weird kind of slow version of Lady Madonna where he hammed it up a little bit?
2: See how they run. Well, Lady Madonna...
0: And then he references Mrs. Mills' piano. We used to call it Mrs. Mills' piano. Not to be confused with Mrs. Miller, who had a a wonderful hit with her version of Downtown.
1: The lights are much brighter there. You can forget all your troubles, forget all. Lady Madonna is one of the songs that Paul must love because he's done it live on almost every tour he's ever done. I think yeah. that 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 uh, the last tour with Wings might be one of the few set lists that doesn't have Lady Madonna in it. Oh, I take that back. He didn't do it in 89-90, but it was one that he brought in in 93. But it was one of the five Beatles songs in Wings Over America. He's done this song live a lot. I think he must really love this one
0: yeah yeah and he plays with the vocal phrasing and all that like he 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 shows uh Rick Rubin, uh, yeah, where that voice comes from, that growly almost Muppety kind of voice
2: lady Madonna, yes, yes. Oh, it's a lady, Madonna. lady Madonna yeah
1: yeah and Paul later voiced uh, Austin Pendleton in the Muppet movie
2: <laughs> What Moving <and> right along <laughs>
1: Back to the
0: soundboard for Band on the Run. Love that sound of the tape starting. As I
2: was walking, I said, watch all the children.
0: Yeah. I
2: I couldn't tell.
0: So
1: yeah. What did what was that dialogue at the top of it? Have you ever heard that? That was an eye-opening moment for me. It sounds like Linda and Denny talking. I mean, what is going on? Are are there people out there, listeners, chime in on Facebook or email us? Has anyone heard that before? I don't have like a lot of band on the run air or bootlegs. I got the archive set. I've never heard whatever's going on in that mix. Yeah. It's amazing to hear it.
0: Yeah, and then, of course, he, he goes uh, talks about how they they recorded that record, just the three of them, just Linda, Denny, and Paul, uh, in Lagos. Some cool pictures. I love that sweater he's wearing with the deer on it. Yeah. And then, yeah, he's got the ugly, uh, groovy, hipster sweater. And then he's playing one of my favorite guitars ever. Keith Richards played it. Greg Ginn and Black Flag played it. It's it's that clear guitar. It's a, um, an Ampeg Dan Armstrong Lucite guitar, and I understand they're really heavy, but it's cool to see Paul play a left-handed one.
1: Yeah, I, I never knew that was a thing, so that, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, there's a guitar harmony line I've never heard before, not just the talking, but the guitar's doing kind of a, a weird thing there.
2: Okay, now go, boy.
1: Stuck inside these phone wall. You know, the robbery of the tapes in Broad Street, which loosely, ah. excuse me, <laughs> <and> <laughs> brand on the run in Lagos. <laughs> Lagos and Broad Street are different experiences. But mm. the the tapes getting robbed has been, it's a famous story that's obviously been known since back then. Yeah. Um, but I wonder, did that, did that robbery inspire the 10cc song Dreadlock Holiday? And five of them jumped out of the car. One of them had a knife. <laughs> ah, Linda's
2: ah, screaming at them. So they took all our stuff, including my demos about the Lord. That's the only thing I was really pissed about. I saw four faces, one man, a brother
0: from the gutter. They looked me up and down a bit and to each other. You know, I, we'll have to listen to the Untitled 10CC podcast. Maybe those guys are t- tackling that one.
1: <laughs> you know, it's a decent podcast, but I'm not in love.
2: so don't forget it
0: we talked about this in the last episode but this is the episode where we see that Fela Kuti footage from uh it's either Glastonbury in 84 or some other time in Paris but it's great footage it's so uh colorful for vibrant I love all the colors and the the face paint and he's got he's playing that saxophone with a. The shell on it that's like lobster looks like a lobster. It's cool.
2: Yeah,
1: and it's it's visually and orally astonishing. Yeah, hearing him sing and watching him perform—I mean. I knew who he was. I'd probably seen clips before, but that's the most of him I'd ever seen. And it's like, I want to go on a deep dive now because that, it's just such incredible performance. Just before that, Paul mentions how he thought they'd pick up African vibes like Graceland, and we didn't, which to me is Paul saying, fuck you for appropriating African music, Paul Simon. Enough boy, (laughs) enough boy in the bubble. Enough of this. (laughs)
0: Yeah. No, I remember. I remember when he came on SNL with like the 30 people behind him. Yeah. But what's interesting, though, is that Fela Kuti like flat out confronted Paul about that. And that was left out of this thing with Rick Rubin out of the three, two, one. We didn't get into that moment. He mentions how he went to the club and all that. But but Fela Kuti was saying like, hey, why'd you come down here to rip off our stuff? That's what I maybe that's what I meant earlier in episode, in our previous episode about like the commercial version like we're, we're getting the stories but we're, we're we're leaving out some of the the nasty bits, R I P Anthony Bourdain.
1: Yeah, I I, I want to see that documentary too. Um, I wonder if that's where because there's a few things where Paul says something before a clip that sound like justification, and maybe Paul saying before that clip. Um, we didn't go down there to appropriate African music was meant to kind of apologize for the incident without showing it. I wonder. Yeah, I wonder.
0: (laughs) Well, then we get into your favorite song and my favorite song, too, from Paul's catalog. I'm really glad they picked this one. Waterfalls from McCartney, too.
1: Yeah, the first of two McCartney two songs. I mean, this just to remind like a lot of people like Paul said, a lot of you know, the diehard fans love the song. This song didn't chart. <laughs> Uh, I'm a diehard fan. <laughs> I'm not a, a Waterfalls fan. There's five others. That, give me Frozen Jap. If you're going to <laughs> <laughs> cut into something over oh, Waterfalls. Agreed.
0: Agreed. Well, as you know, they, they do get into Check My Machine later, which that satisfies that for sure.
1: And they played the sample to kick it off. We, I can't yeah, wait to get into that. Yeah.
0: Well, I think Rick Rubin was trying to address, like, people that were into Chill Wave or whatever, or basically how McCartney 2 kind of, Gave birth to, you know what young millennials and Z kids were into ten years ago or however long Chill Wave came out.
2: This is also, even yeah, if so it's not an electronic song, this
0: melody is very today. To this is a very
2: modern I melody. I know so. It's like, it doesn't. Yeah, this sounds love. like you can hear this now Every in an unusual way.
1: And chill wave, help me out. It's chill wave first gear all right? Second gear out of sight. Third gear, it's all right. Fourth gear, doing fine. Fifth gear, I'm all right. Sixth gear out of sight, faster. But the Porsches faster. have six gear. First gear, oh, all- <laughs>
0: I mean, I love the Hondells, but they are not chill wave, TJ. I'm sorry. I don't know. They're hot rod music. <laughs> <laughs> but same thing, different generation. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> you wave. Well, then Paul goes to the piano and he plays a song. Have you ever heard this one? It's called Life Can Be Hard.
1: No, it's incredible. Like, I mean, this is this was breathtaking. It's a jazzy show tune. What an inventive melody with these twists and turns. I mean, I I love when Rick Rubin and you can say this about so many Paul McCartney things. It sounds like, oh, this is a song that's always been around like it's in the air. Paul said, that's what I've done all my life. Well, what do you think of this song?
0: I, I agree. I feel like, wait, where have I heard this before? It sounds like one of his songs. It sounds like something from around Red Rose Speedway or, uh, yeah, it sounds like something from around that time. I think but it's, it's new though, right? It is new. Yeah. Yeah. It was credited. It's in the credits at the end as uh, the song's called Life Can Be Hard.
2: Life can be hard,
0: but then so that's when we start
2: to put it together. By her beauty Yeah. Incredible.
1: You know, he's writing a musical for Miracle on 34th Street. For real, I wonder if that's part of the score he's writing.
0: Could very well be. Don't know. If you guys know Paul, give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That rhymed. <laughs> Yep, yeah, man. I'm I'm the new Al Sharpton. Get get used to it.
1: <laughs> You're also the old Al Sharpton. <laughs> yeah,
0: I am. I am. I'm putting on weight and I'm wearing medallions. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's
1: wearing <laughs> medallions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, well, episode two closes with uh, Abbey Road footage. I love this footage. The very rare white album film footage of, of Paul doing Blackbird. It looks like they found the right take, too, because they have the false start in there and everything. You get to see it with him tapping with his uh, orange butterscotch <laughs> Sergeant Pepper-looking shoes.
1: That may be silent video where they synced up the take. Whatever it is, it's yeah. so great, Tony, and it looks pristine.
0: No, it's great. It's great. And, and this is the one thing in the credits. They let it play out through the credits, and... You think you're listening like, oh, you think you're listening to The Master. But no, it breaks down. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool outtake that is not on the White Album reissue that I know of. I don't remember hearing anything like that.
1: I don't believe it is. Blackbird
0: fly into the light of a dark black
2: night. I don't know
1: So what goes on when episode three kicks off with a, a rockin' back in the USSR where Paul's going nuts in the mixing board, but like two minutes <laughs> of the Beatles footage intercut with Russians going insane.
0: Oh, I love it. I thought it was kick-ass. It is.
1: It's, it's a brilliant editing choice, but there's nothing else like it in the whole documentary, so it took me a little bit by surprise. It's wonderful. It was very surprising, though.
0: Yeah. It, took, it actually took me a minute to figure out, like, wait, what is this? And then, like, oh, I get it.
2: Show me round the snow peak mountains way down south. Take me Daddy, um, let me yell bring it out um, oh, and keep your comrade
0: warm. I'm back in the USSR. Hey, you don't know how lucky you are, boy. Back, back. It's cool to see that. It was cool to see Paul like being a, being a kid at the console. And loosening up, we don't see that a lot. He's very in control, you know. I feel like a lot of this stuff is like him really trying to control the legacy at the end, and I think it's great because we're getting good stuff. But it's also cool when he just like lets loose.
1: Yeah, and you see, uh, Rick Rubin gives him the space and comfort and respect to do that. Ba- after Back in the USSR, it's, there's a few moments where Paul really is self-referential too, where he tells a story of how we told Ringo how to play it. Ringo says, you do it.
0: Yeah, that's where I wonder, where, That's a fuzzy, that, that gets fuzzy for me with the facts, because I thought Ringo walked out. And then that's when they did Back in the USSR with Paul and the others on drums.
1: I think that's the story Paul was telling, but in more sanitized terms, was how I interpreted it. And maybe that's how it went down.
0: You know, yeah. maybe he did say, OK, you play it. And maybe he walked out with that parrot on his shoulder and <laughs> off to off to Butlins to work on his parrot <laughs> routine. <laughs> At six of the Butlin holiday camps, you'll find the famous Beachcomber bars,
2: the glamorous decor, the excitement of a tropical storm, streams complete with crocodiles and sometimes special entertainment. Peace and love, everybody. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We did Cheeseburger in Paradise last time. How about this this time? <laughs> this is the only place I've been to see Jimmy Buffett once. I swear I saw a baby smoke a joint. I'm not kidding. I'm pretty sure there was like a seven-month-old taking a puff. I was 20-something. My friend Charlotte. It could have been someone who's,
0: whose growth was just stunted from smoking. TJ.
1: Right? <laughs> from M. Night Shyamalan's old. <laughs> <laughs> as what I'm not going to see. Uh the one of the best clips in the entire thing is forthcoming in this Tony. First of all, the Ed Sullivan footage has never looked better, but when they talk about Little Richard as the influence, Little Richard's the clip of him without a shirt on, smoking a cigarette going on like if it ain't the size of the ship that makes you seasick, it's a waves in the ocean. Yeah. He's naked, smoking and evangelizing. I want to see I'd watch an hour of that. Yeah. I love Little Richard.
2: It ain't the man that run the fastest, but the man
0: that endure to the end. So I know that if water falls on a rock long enough, it's breaking. Yeah, Little Richard is very fascinating. I love that they gave him some screen time.
1: Well, he's a huge influence. There's no Paul McCartney rock voice without Little Richard. I'm Down is an original Little Richard song. Totally. Little Richard-inspired song, obviously. Yes,
0: yes, yeah. And that picture of the Beatles, young, young Beatles, with their hands, there's a few of them have their hands on Richard, little Richard's hand. Yeah, that's a great picture, nice find.
1: And Tony Paul plays tribute to the Ruddles when they talk about uh, I want to hold you hand Going to number one. Paul McCartney says, We've arrived, yeah, and I was waiting for and to prove it, we're here.
0: Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting to hear. <laughs> know <laughs> that.
1: The next track they get to, Tony, is a highlight because it's the first deep cut so far. Other than Waterfalls.
0: <laughs> well, Waterfalls was a single. Don't go
2: jumping,
0: No, this one blew me away. Yeah, it goes right into Babies in Black off Beatles for Sale. Or was that Beatles 65 for you?
1: Initially 65 and then nice. Beatles
0: for Sale. Yeah, right. Yeah,
1: I mean, such a great, great track. And surprised you because Paul said they used to do it live and they didn't get great response. I've got live recordings of this with the crowd still going crazy.
0: Right? They never, they never didn't go crazy. You know.
2: You no, know, we were kind of proud of this one. We thought we were kind of, you know, getting really funky folk.
1: but it's such a great song. They said that Paul C's proud of this one. Uh, Phil, I love Paul telling a Phil Spector story. I remember Phil Spector saying to us, you throw away all your songs.
2: On a, on a, on a record, you're putting two good songs on there. He said you should put the hit, and then the other side just like take the vocal off
1: and call it Sing Along With. And Paul was like, we don't do that. Yeah, Paul. Then explain, give Ireland back to the Irish version.
0: (laughs) The Beatles didn't do that, but he will. (laughs) It's kind of like, I mean, they were so strong. They're basically the... The good version of someone who works out too much and is showing off their dumb body at the, <laughs> in the parking lot of the grocery store or whatever. <laughs> you know, if you got it, flaunted or whatever. Another thing that he kind of misremembered was when Rick Rubin, after like bobbing his head and staring at Paul <laughs> during Babies in Black, he asks him like kind of the what was the schedule like? Uh, an album a year? Was it typically an album a year?
2: It was still, it was like an album a year and four singles a year.
0: When really, for those first three years,
1: it was two albums a year plus all the singles. And in the U.S., it was seventeen albums a month. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine, Paul? Paul, yeah. tell us about the Frank Frank Ifield record. <laughs> Do you think he knows? Do you think Paul McCartney is aware that VJ had a record that included Frank ifield
0: <laughs> I bet that. I mean, it's somewhere lodged way back. You'd have to <laughs> you'd have to get the tweezers out for that memory.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, so funny. And then uh, the next song they do is And I Love Her and it's my favorite version Tony. They use the mono single track version of And I Love Her without the double tracking, which I've always preferred. <laughs>
2: That's and that's all I do.
0: Yeah, and he refers to songwriting as a good disease. Yeah. How it was spreading, the idea of, like, why did you guys start writing songs? Yeah. Yeah, he's got some cool memories of Roy Orbison when he wrote uh, Pretty Woman in the Back of the Bus, or he was, you know, working on it. I like when they talked about what other music he was listening to. This is where Rick Rubin kind of gets in and says, like, hey, you know... Let me maybe I interview you. <laughs> I love you right. It's
1: supposed just nodding his head and looking <laughs> admiringly. Yeah.
0: Right, right. Which is also cute and I get it. I mean, I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but it is. It's the same thing as being in the same room as Mozart. Let's face it. I think this music's going to be around for a while, man.
1: Yeah, and 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 pop wise, I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe after BTO, the most influential <laughs> band. Baby. Another thing about uh, Paul watching or Paul listening to George's uh, music, the guitar intro to And I Love Her that George came up with, it's very touching watching Paul go through George's music 20 years after his death. yeah, It's it's not something you've seen a lot of, so it's cool. Paul goes about George. He was good, you know, and it's <laughs> such a it's such a sweet and lovely uh, thing. But getting back to what you are saying about um, uh, the other music they listened to, the Ray Robertson stuff was great. I never knew Paul was that into the Kinks. No. How cool hearing him talk about how much you love he loved the riff of You Really Got Me.
0: I had never heard him ever talk about the Kinks. Yeah. And then we get to see that cool footage of them from that era. Yeah. Along with Dylan, we see the cool the the Albert Hall in 66 footage. We get like we get one line from that, but it's still great to see. And then of course Hendrix playing Hey Joe, you know. I'd never seen that version either where he's playing like a green Stratocaster. I've never seen that one. You know, I've seen Monterey, and I've seen some other stuff, but uh, um, Beat Club and all that, but I had never seen this color footage where he's playing the solo with his teeth. Uh, again, I'm always floored that he was able to do that. And that was another kind of, wow,
2: electric moment. And even though there's hardly anyone in the club, he played this great set with teeth and the whole thing.
0: still Blows my mind. It blew my mind when I was thirteen. It blew my mind when I'm in mid-40s. He
1: he was so great. I love footage of Jimi Hendrix. I mean it's it's that's one of the great tragedies of that era, and there were many of the great rockers who died young, and Hendrix might be near the top of that list.
2: It was very exciting.
1: But were kids living it? Well,
2: it what's great is as time goes by. They become legends.
0: Well, also from that year, then they move on to Lucy in the Sky, and we get to hear the the Lowry organ uh, isolated, or at least it's cool to hear Paul, t- like, what is that sound? It's such a strange sound, but that's, uh, yeah, that was an organ. And then the projections come in on the set. There you can see the, the projectionist is working a lot during all the Sgt. Pepper material.
1: Yeah, it looks beautiful. The end result's really beautiful. Uh, Paul also, Tony, along with the set design, talks about the art influence, the influence of art and artists. Paul's living in London. And this was the whole... I don't know if you read the Barry Miles book many years from now, from the late 90s, about Paul McCartney. Uh, closest thing to a really an, an autobiography. And the book is kind of out... It's almost like the long and winding road or let it be naked of Paul McCartney books. Because the book is out to show that, hey... Paul's the artistic one. Paul's the artsy one. Wasn't just John. Paul was experimental. Paul was into Stockhausen and John Cage. We'll get into that in a little bit, obviously. Yeah. Um, But that Barry Miles book kind of did what Paul's doing here, as if to kind of... I understand it because it's not false, but Paul is kind of perpetually trying to validate the fact that he wasn't just what, like, Yoko made him out to be after John died. He was also an artistic force.
0: Yeah, completely. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) turns out.
1: (laughs) And left-handed. Wow. Who knew? That and them going to (laughs) India were stories I just hadn't heard before.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And he liked cherry-flavored jelly bellies. Wow. Ah. But jelly beans are a bit dangerous, you
1: see. Peace and love. Stop throwing jelly babies at us. (laughs) Uh, Here's something that's annoying. When they go to India... I, I mean, I, I'm not a huge Within You Without You fan, but why can't they use the inner light for footage of India? I feel like every time and every doc when they go to India, it's Within You Without You. How about a little love for inner light?
0: Yeah. When, and they always used Love You 2 a lot, too, because it has that like. Yeah, the intro. Yeah. Yeah, whatever you want to call that, an arpeggio. I'm not sure.
1: It's a sitar peggio. Ah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's good. <laughs> That's good. TM.
2: So, yeah, we, we went out and stayed at this place in Rishikesh, which are now, apparently, it's the Beatles meditation <laughs> camp. And it's a little bit run down. I met someone who'd been there. But it was a very gentle time. It was a very beautiful time. And we'd all brought our guitars. So we were all writing. I wrote Obla Di there, which is... Not really spiritual. it's just a song. And John wrote this.
1: Dear Prudence. So, but they do go into Dear Prudence, which is a fascinating choice, because that is a quintessential John song. Mm-hmm. They end the episode with the song. Uh, in my estimation, one of the three finest songs on the White Album. Like, I love, love, love this song. And... Uh, Rick Rubin saying that he also practiced meditation because of the Beatles was a neat moment.
0: Well, yeah. I'd never heard of it until I read Beatle books in junior high or early high school. I didn't know what meditation was. I mean, I, th- I think maybe m- maybe I saw it on, do they ever do it on a Bugs Bunny or something? Maybe, I don't know, but like to make fun of it. Or well, is- that's
1: the plot of Space Jam 2. <laughs> it's LeBron meditates. <laughs>
0: mind is like a muscle. The more you train it, the stronger it becomes.
2: Welcome to Jell-A-Stone, Doc. A restful
0: retreat. Didn't you think that was cool when they showcased the long note on the harmonies?
1: Well, it was a challenge. John and Paul trying to hold the harmony notes as long as they possibly could. Yeah. Watching Paul mime to it is, I would say, the best part of the documentary thus far. <laughs>
0: And they pushed themselves, so not only did they push people like David Mason and Alan Civil like to go out of their range, they pushed themselves to go out of their range, and that's why we love this group, because every album, they are pushing themselves to do even better. And so, you know, again, this is why we're talking about this. This is why there's 14,000 other podcasts talking about these
1: four slash five guys. It's funny, but not not every podcast is going to talk about how the Beatles also pushed themselves into Bruce Hornsby and the range. <laughs> I mean, the range, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm a purist. I don't like Bruce Hornsby. I just like seeing the range live. <laughs> I like the range, the news, the Dakotas. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, that's uh, I wanted when Paul's uh, miming to the harmonies, you know what? For a brief moment, my mind went to thinking, I wish present day John could be here with Paul to laugh about it together. Wouldn't it be cool to see those two miming along to harmonies on tape together and just kind of laughing? It's one of those moments where like I kind of viscerally missed John Lennon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's hard to play that game, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's all speculation, but I'm pretty sure they probably would have made up by now.
1: Well, I'm, or John would have been an 80-year-old sailor, like, in a, <laughs> like a, a longshoreman, like in yeah. that yesterday movie. Still
0: wearing glasses from 1968. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah,
1: whatever you dream can be the dream that you dream. What, if, what is happening here?
2: Did the job I enjoyed day after day. Sailed the world. It all turned out just...
1: How's oh, your love life? Bad. And uh, the last thing before we wrap up this uh, uh, episode three, this is going to be a three-parter, Tony Mendoza. I think so. Um, I think which is great, but you know what? It's worthy of it because it is anthology-like. This is such an important documentary to give this the short shrift would do our, we just passed 8 million fans, which is wonderful. <laughs> I, I, we work next to a fan factory. I'm referring to the fans in the warehouse. Yeah. Um, okay, but, but it is totally true that this deserves a, a deep analysis, so I'm happy doing another, uh, another part in this. But we go into Hey Jude, and the first thing I thought, because Hey Jude is not of the mixing console. Hey Jude is the video footage that leads to the credits. Yeah. It starts right after Paul kind of really starts uh, talking about what the Beatles stood for and how they comfort people. And it's interesting, because Hey Jude, maybe Paul's second most famous Beatles song after yesterday, doesn't get the mixing board treatment. Now, I'm not saying I miss that. But it's interesting that Hey Jube was left out of the Let's Break Down These Songs at the mixing console.
0: Agreed. Agreed. But we do get the David Frost version, which does have different vocals and you can hear all those other people chanting in at the end. Um, So there's that.
1: It, it's almost live, even though it's sung to the existing track, there are the different vocals and there's some different instrumentation. Uh, is John bored when he's waving? Like every time I've seen that video, both in terrible grainy quality 30 years ago and remastered quality, I've had the discussion in my head of, is John bored out of his mind and trying to kind of feign excitement by getting the crowd to sing along? Or do you think he's into it? You know, I think it depends on which take. Cause I think they did that a few times.
0: Yeah, and I don't, I don't have the all the takes to to view and s- know like, oh, they use take two in anthology and take four. In this we, wait a minute, sorry,
1: <laughs> you don't have every take of. He- <laughs> this is what I'm dealing with, people. <laughs> Some beetle fan. I don't have every take of. Hey Jude, <laughs> coward. <laughs> I'm referring to Noel, coward. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's going to have to be a three parter, TJ. Uh, that can, Our first. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Three parter. Bear with us. I'd like to thank our producer, Casey Baker. Send all your long winded complaints to Casey Baker at 976 UBP.email.gov.org.org. Patty Boyd, George Harrison. (laughs) Where are we going? (laughs) Jane Asher. (laughs) (laughs) The Beatles. (laughs) Eric Burden. (laughs) The Minnesota Twins. (laughs)
1: Kirby Puckett.
0: (laughs) James Carville. (laughs)
1: Suzanne Pochette. So we'll see you next week for episode three and coming soon we delve into the All Things Must Pass box set, which will be our first nine-episode show. You bored yet?
0: Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe.